0: As we began tonight, we said that uh, really tonight for us, we live in tension. On one hand, uh, we anticipate Sunday, and we know what's coming Sunday, but 2,000 plus years ago, on that first Good Friday, there was no anticipation. It was all over. Uh, The cross has the final word meant it's done. There was no thing more. Uh, The disciples had uh, missed some of the things or a lot of things that Jesus had said, and uh, we can't get down on them too much because those of us who would consider ourselves Christ followers missed a lot of things that Jesus says, and uh, they find themselves in an evening uh, of despair, and Saturday would be a day of despair. And sometimes we lose sight of that, and we don't feel that. As we began to prepare for this week, we've been looking at a mini-series, if you will, He Is. And last week, we looked at uh, He is the Good Shepherd, and we talked about that. And then this Sunday, we'll be talking about He is the resurrection and the life, and we'll be celebrating that. Tonight we're going to look at one of his I am statements. There are seven I am statements in uh, John's record. John, a good friend of Jesus, wrote uh, what God inspired him to write about Jesus' life. And he writes seven I am statements that Jesus himself says. And, And tonight as we celebrate communion and we think about what that means, we're looking at when Jesus said, I am the bread of life and what that really means to us. In John 6, 35, he says it this way. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that Thursday evening before he was arrested, as we saw in the opening vignette, uh, there was this first time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion, doing this in remembrance of me. And Jesus gave them bread gave them wine, and those things represented uh, his life, uh, his shed blood for our sins, and they, they weren't getting that totally in that moment. But he says those things that you'll never thirst or hunger no more. Again, if we go back to that first Good Friday, there was thirst, there was hunger, because, again, it was all over, and there were no answers to it being all over. And so that's where we find them. Now, it's very interesting that he calls himself the bread of life, uh, because bread is a staple of life. Uh, Someone can actually live on bread and water alone for a long time. And the idea is that uh, Jesus is the sustenance of, for life. Uh, I've shared a couple Sundays ago, I've been on this uh, no yeast, no uh, gluten diet, and uh, I've realized how much I miss bread and how sustaining it is. But uh, Jesus talks about how He is the sustenance. It's also interesting when we talk about getting together with someone and fellowshipping and connecting and enjoying their company. Uh, sometimes people will say, let's break bread together. Again, that idea of bread and Jesus being the sustenance. Um, when Jesus said that, uh, his listeners uh, were Israelites. They were Jewish people, and they remembered the Older Testament where the Israelites wandered for 40 years, and God provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and the word manna was, what is it? but it sustained them. So as they hear those words, I am the bread of life, the listeners are, are thinking about those things. You and I, not being from that culture, maybe we grew up in church, so we think a little bit about it, but that was very significant for the folks that, uh, that heard that. And this all gets into the scene of before Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Earlier, before he says this, there is, the, there is the, the feeding of the 5,000. And then there is the walking on the water as the disciples go ahead, and he comes out to see them. So there's all these things going on. And uh, you know, Philip asks, uh, how are we going to feed these people before the feeding of the 5,000? And uh, uh, he basically says, well, we don't have enough money to, to pay for that bill. And uh, Jesus kind of uh, goes, haven't you been paying attention? Where is your faith? And then the 5,000 is fed earlier on. So it goes on and on, and then they get to the other side, and Jesus is there with them, and uh, he realizes that uh, these people that are following them are, are missing out. They're not understanding of what his life offers to them. And Jesus tells them in John 6, 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, life everlasting, full life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, they had become so enthralled, so captivated by all the external things and the external things being the answer. In their case, it was food, the answer to life, that they were missing, that Jesus was the answer to life, the inner life, the spiritual life. And he gave promise for the next chapter of life when their lives would end and and they could go to be with the Father through him. And But they were missing that. And so uh, some of the uh, people listening asked for more signs, and uh, I could just imagine that, Uh, Jesus was a little, uh, I don't know if you could say irritated, but just taken back by that. Haven't you seen the feeding of the 5,000? Those disciples close, don't you remember uh, me walking on the water and calming the storm? And uh, that's where he says, you know, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me, uh, thou shall not thirst, or thou will not sure thirst And again, that is a a phenomenal statement to hear um, himself equating himself with bread, that he is essential for life. And in a moment like this, we need to ask ourselves, uh, if you're new to church and just trying to figure faith things out, this may seem interesting, and you're trying to digest it, and there there are those of us who uh, have been uh, following Christ for a long time, and sometimes we let that Reality, that truth that he is the essential bread uh, kind of slip off our focus other things become essential for life but in moments like this where we celebrate communion we remember good friday uh, we are reminded that he is essential for life that's where life comes from uh, he's not referring, again, just to the physical life. In this case, he's, he's referring to spiritual life. He's referring to knowing God and walking with God so that when this life goes ends, we continue to walk with God into eternity uh, to be with him. Uh, he also is making a statement when he says, I am. And some of us who know uh, Jewish history, the Older Testament, remember when Moses was introduced to God. He said, I am. And so all of his hearers, maybe we don't pick that up when he says, I am the bread of life. But when they heard it, they realized he was identifying himself with God, deity, God himself. Uh, We also notice in this exchange that he says, Come and believe. Come and believe. An invitation for all of us to come to Jesus and to believe in Jesus, to place the trust of our lives, the trust of our life in the here and now, and also into eternity in his hands. And as again, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate that Thursday night when he you know, gives the bread and says, this is my body, this is my life, and the, the, the juice, the wine, the grape juice, and he says, this is, this is my blood, and some of us go, ooh, that, that sounds like uh, walking tall stuff, that's kind of gross, and all of that, but the idea, again, comes back to the imagery of the Older Testament, that without the shedding of blood, there was not remission or forgiveness of sin, and those sitting around him Uh, knew all of that. And he says, uh, um, also he says back in Matthew, uh, when we're at a place of that hunger and thirst, he says this, he says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. So as we celebrate communion and we think of the imagery and we think of remembering him and we partake, we're reminding ourselves That he is our sustenance. He is the best meal that we would ever take. Uh, We've been looking at Ecclesiastes for the last couple months, and in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon writes God has placed eternity in our hearts, Uh, the desire for more, and all of us have that desire, have that hunger, have that appetite, and we find that hunger, that thirst. Quenched and quenched in Christ alone. Because we realize there's nothing we can do to earn our way to God. Uh, None of us can be good enough, behaved well enough, uh, and there is no way to do that. And Christ gives Himself for us. We realize that we've all sinned. Uh, The old language says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've We've missed the mark, and instead of writing us off, instead of ignoring us, instead of having nothing to do with us, uh, God sends his son so that things can be made right. He doesn't force himself on us, but he offers himself uh, because we can't be, in a sense, good enough. We're, we're not perfect. We're marred. We've talked about this many times, that, uh, that nature just to, in a sense, do the wrong thing, to be self-centered, to want it for me, to not care about others. That seems to be built into our DNA, and uh, because of that, Jesus gives Himself so that that can be forgiven, it can be washed away. Because we cannot fulfill it in ourselves. So Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who sustains. And when we celebrate communion and we take the little cracker that we have that represents his body, the bread, we remember that. When we partake of the grape juice is what we will have here, we remember that. And we remember that he gave his life and he shed his blood for us so that we could have a relationship uh, with him. Now Paul writes of this experience of communion, of remembering and he says these words in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. He says, For I received from the Lord that I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Thursday night, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look forward to that day where Christ will return, and he'll set things right. He'll set things right. He'll set our world right. He'll set us totally right. And we wait for that day. We wait for that day. We long for that day. Now, in our church family, we usually celebrate communion once a month. Uh, There's no special rule for that. We just do it once a month so we remember and we take time for that. And on Good Friday, we'd like to, again, revisit those ideas and celebrate it before Easter. Um, Just a couple uh, guidelines that Paul gives us as we think about Jesus being the bread of life. He offers himself to us. Uh, We have the opportunity to say yes Or no, or wait, but again, he doesn't force himself on us. Uh, But for us as we celebrate this, this isn't meant to be some ritualistic thing. It isn't meant to dispel some kind of special spiritual grace. It's for us to remember. And in that remembering, in that reflecting, it actually does something in our hearts. When you and I slow down and remember what Christ did for us, it rekindles a love and a passion for him. So then, something may spiritually overflow because of where our heart was when we're doing it. So, so Paul gives us some instructions because uh, he wants us not to miss out on the blessing of remembering together. So this is what he writes: Anyone who eats or the bread eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master irreverently, uncaringly, is like the part of the crowd that jeered and spit on himself at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? In other words, when we don't come with a, a serious heart, it doesn't mean we're perfect or anything, but we come carelessly and sloppily, and, and, and it's just, it's just not, it's not an expression of our heart. In a sense, uh, uh, we're cheapening what he did on our behalf. So Paul goes on and writes, examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. Holy awe should blow us away that God himself would come, Jesus, deity, on our behalf and lay down his life so that we could be right with God. So we have a holy awe. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running risk of serious consequences. It's it's offensive to God. It's offensive to God when you and I remember, but we're really not remembering. Uh, it talks about in two Corinthians, examining ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, whether uh, you know we've really said yes to Christ. Uh, sometimes some of us can have it all up here, and it's never worked itself into its into our hearts. And so we want to make sure that we really have said yes to Christ, that we really have leaned into him, that we've omitted uh, our need for a savior, that uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that cleanses and gives us forgiveness of sin, and that we've really chosen to follow him. It doesn't mean we choose him. It doesn't mean we follow him perfectly, but it means we're in that direction. So he's, Paul says to examine ourselves. So in, in a group like this tonight, you know, not to be a downer, but the reality of it is you have to ask yourself, have I really trusted Christ as my personal Savior? And it's not that if you uh, celebrate communion and you haven't, something terrible is going to happen to you. But again, it's just, it's just, it's just you're, you're, you're in a sense you're not, you're not really reflecting what's, what's real. It's like just going through the motions. And then those of us who have said yes to Christ... Uh, communion, being close, being tight. The the reason we can have this relationship with God is because of what Christ has done. So we want to be in a place where we actually are enjoying and growing in our relationship with him. That, That, again, doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we're moving in that path. So when we celebrate communion, we need to ask ourselves, do I really know Christ? Have I said yes to Christ? And if I have... How is that relationship going? Is there some tension there? Is there some uh, direct uh, uh, just ignoring him, keeping him at arm's length, whatever that may be? Uh, What is going on in that relationship? Because when it isn't moving in that direction, uh, then when we celebrate communion, it's, it's just going through the motions. And just like you, if you had something that was very meaningful to you, and somebody was participating, but their heart really wasn't in it, and you discovered that, it's, it's, it, would, it would actually be hurtful. Uh, it, you, you might not be mad at it. You'd just be, wow, they're, they're missing out on this. And I think God is very conscious that we're not missing out on this. So what we're going to do, and, and for some of us, I think all of us, this, this gets a little awkward when we have silence in a room with a bunch of people. Uh, but we're going to take some silence and some moments for reflection and ask yourself, where are you at in your relationship with God? Have you said yes? And if you haven't, what a great evening. What a great evening to say yes to Christ, to acknowledge your need, to uh, invite him into your life, to embrace him, to thank him for his death and resurrection and what that means for your life. What a, what a wonderful thing to do, to sit in that seat right there and make that uh, a reality in your life. And then for those of us who have said yes to, to just do, a, a in a sense, a, a gut check to see how that relationship's going, not because we want to feel overly guilty, but because we want to enjoy as fully and possibly our relationship with God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, um, a statement, and this statement is from a, a church in Connecticut, and when they've gathered, they occasionally read this. Uh, because sometimes, and it's, again, it's just to to help us take inventory of our life. If we said yes to Christ, uh, sometimes we're uh, we're we're involved in these things, or we're not. We we need to ask for forgiveness for these things, and sometimes we can let them just kind of coast out here and just kind of go on our way. So I think it's a it's a powerful uh, corporate confession, a church confession. So I'm going to read this. Uh, then I'm going to ask us to take a few moments of silent reflection and prayer. And then I will close in prayer and we'll continue on. Uh, here, Here it goes. Lord, you know those of us who have lost our first love and have become lukewarm. We confess apathy and complacency. We have no passion for you, your word, your people, and your service. We confess apathy as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have not taken sin seriously because we know your grace is abundant. We confess a tolerance of and a callousness to sin. We excuse our sins because we know you'll forgive us. It is if we sin that grace may abound. We tolerate sin in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We do not lovingly confront them when you have told us to do so. We confess our tolerance and callousness to sin. Lord, you know those of us who have been conformed to the image of this world and want everything to be comfortable and convenient. We confess selfishness. We resist giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. We want to be served rather than to serve. We fail to use our time our treasures, our abilities, our talents, to your glory. We confess our selfishness as sin. Lord, you know that there are those of us who have not loved you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess wrong priorities. We have chosen to put other activities before you, before our family, and before our service for you, we confess wrong priorities as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have become puffed up with our knowledge of the Bible, our independent spirit, our non-legalistic approach to Christian living. We confess pride. This pride is expressed in a quiet rebellion, muffled grumbling, looking down upon people who are different at a different point in their spiritual journey. We confess pride as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected to pray without ceasing. We confess a lack of prayer. We do not make plans to pray individually with our families, with others. We do not pray for our leaders, our ministries, our missionaries, and for others. We confess our lack of prayer as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have become ineffective as salt and light in our world. We confess our lack of outreach. We're not friendly towards guests in our church. We do not build bridges of friendship towards unbelievers. We do not pray for the salvation of others. We do not participate in our communities as representatives of Jesus Christ. We confess our lack of outreach as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected to take time to listen, to share, to give, and to show hospitality to others. We confess a resistance to sharing ourselves. We need open hearts, open hands, open homes. We confess a resistance to sharing ourselves as sin. Let's take a few moments of silent meditation Reflection and prayer.